A solo travel woman is a woman who is passionate about exploring new destinations, immersing themselves in different cultures, and really getting out there to create these once-in-a-lifetime memories without letting fear or anyone hold them back. Welcome to the Solo Travel Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and each week I am here to help motivate, inspire, and empower you to take your next solo adventure. Whether you've traveled solo before or maybe you're just thinking about it, you're going to learn so much here as we dive into different destinations, give the best tips around budgeting and planning your next solo itinerary. You're going to hear from all different experts and travel enthusiasts about their solo adventures. So I invite you to tune in each week as we take this amazing journey together on the Solo Travel Woman Podcast. Hello, travelers. Welcome to episode 19 of the Solo Travel Woman podcast. I am so excited to have you all here. Again, I just want to apologize for there not being an episode last week. I am very excited to say I am fully vaccinated and I was just kind of having those, those side effects last week. So I did skip it, but we have an amazing episode for you today. Um, Some really great episodes coming up, and so it was well worth the wait. I'm going to tell you that right now. Also, I just wanted to remind you, if you haven't yet, the Solo Travel Woman Getaway is officially posted. We are going to Morocco in 2022 from March 31st to April 14th, so definitely go and check that out if you haven't already. It's going to be an amazing time, and spots are filling up, so there's limited reservations available. But without any further announcements or anything, I definitely want to get into today's episode. So everyone kind of has this ideal view of what a nomad life actually is. You know, we all watch movies, we read stories, but there's actually a lot more than than what we see, you know, in the media, what's portrayed in blogs and so on and so forth. And so I'm very excited because today we have Rachel joining us who for 10 years lived that nomadic life. And, you know, she stayed in places long enough to work, save money, but then would set off to her next adventure. And it's not always easy. However, yes, with that nomad lifestyle, there is that true sense of freedom. And so today Rachel's joining us to share her experiences, what she's learned, all the amazing places she's been. And uh, without further ado, I mean, Rachel, we are so excited to have you here. Thanks. This is, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. This is fun. Yeah. So I would love for you to just kind of give us a little bit of a background. Like, you know, I think a lot of people have this vision of who goes on these nomadic adventures and things like that. So I would love to learn more about you and, you know, what your background was and, you know, what, brought you into traveling and then led you on your 10-year journey? Yeah, um, I don't know if I could really pinpoint it. I mean, I came from like a middle-class family and I had, you know, decent education and da 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 da, da. And I went to university because that's what I was supposed to do. And <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I immediately started bouncing around. I think I actually attended six, five or six different universities uh, before I finished, uh, which is largely due to just chronically itchy feet. Um, I kept wanting to move. 
And, you know, my, my mother's from England and my father's American, but my father used to travel a lot before he got married. He met my mother in France. He was working in Europe at the time. And so I think I kind of get that desire from both parents. And, you know, we would travel as kids, uh, mostly just in the U.S., uh, but there was always there was always traveling happening with us, with our families. And, um, yeah, I don't know. So as soon as I finished university, I was, I was in Hawaii, actually, when I finished, and I was trying to find work there, but it wasn't really happening. And then the relationship I was in was crashing. And, uh, and then I got a job offer as a nanny in Australia, so I jumped on it. Um, so I was in Australia for a while and I just, I just kind of kept moving, but you know, I was, I, I didn't really have anything saved. So I'd always have to go and work somewhere for a while before I could then go to the next place. So. I love that. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Cause it's, it is, it is hard to fund, you know, traveling for 10 mm-hmm. years. So you definitely would have to go work. Um, so what, you know, what country I would just, if you can explain more, your your whole, you know, tenure experience on what countries you were in and, you know, how did you fund, like what type of jobs would you pick up? Cause I know that's something that people are very interested in learning. Um, you know, if they do want to travel and do that remote work life or do any type of long-term travel where they have to stop and work, I don't think a lot of people understand or know different options that may be available to them. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody these days is a lot luckier than they were in my time, because this was back when I mean, I finished college in 2004. So there's so much more digital work available now that it just really opens up the possibilities. I mean, at the time that I was going, I just had a college degree in biology, and that wasn't going to get me very far. So I just took what I could. And I because I was, you know, the jobs I would take didn't make a lot of money. And because there weren't a lot of options, um, I usually tried to find something that included housing or if not then have enough money to get somewhere and kind of hang out for a little while and look around until I found some housing but a lot of times it would be like seasonal work that included housing like at ski resorts or things like that um so yeah I mean the the job as a nanny was a live-in job so that was easy and I had to get second jobs like under the table in Australia to save up a little bit and uh, and then I had a friend that worked in Vietnam teaching English. So I went to Vietnam and I took a teaching English as a foreign language course. And then I got a job teaching English in Vietnam. So I had to, like, find my own apartment there. But, you know, there's a lot of that kind of work available. It doesn't pay very much. But as long as that's not your goal, that's OK. Um, <laughs> and then uh, every time I, like, kind of ran out of money or wasn't sure what to do next, I would kind of default back to back to the United States and go back to my parents and figure out the next thing as I worked and saved up a little more money. So, it's, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like this ideal dream way to do it. Um, there's, you know, it's definitely challenging. And it, I think it helped that I was really young because I was like, you know, I didn't need all these really nice comforts. There was a lot of, uh, was a fair amount of couch surfing and a lot of just trusting and going with the flow. Um, but I, so after Vietnam, I was there teaching English for a while, and then I had some health issues come up, and I was just, wasn't very happy there. Um, so then I went back to the States and lived with a family and worked for a while, and then I found a job um, in New York City on a tall ship. So one of these boats from the 19th century where you have to, you know, do everything by hand as a oh, cool. head, ed, yeah, it was pretty cool as a head educator. So we take groups of school kids and even college kids out um, sailing in New York and teach them marine ecology and maritime history. In the meantime, I got to live on the boat, which was uh, 
definitely had its challenges, but was also super cool. Um, in, and in New York City, you got to do this? In New York City. Uh, I didn't South even Street know Seaport. that was a thing. That's so you know, funny. South Street I Seaport? live in New York. Well, yeah, yeah, I live in New York City. And so, oh, South Street Seaport is one of my favorite places. Okay. It's so definitely different post-Hurricane Sandy, but it's oh, definitely one okay, of my favorite yeah. places. Yeah. So I lived on the Pioneer. Uh, no, sorry. I worked on the Pioneer. I lived on the Waver Tree, which I think isn't even there anymore. I think they sold it. But it was like you know kind of sunk into the mud on the river there and listing slightly and like the plumbing was really just a toilet that ran into the river and like the uh the decks weren't sealed properly so it would leak when it rained so I had to like pin um, I didn't know people could live on like that was a thing (laughs) yeah it was uh I don't know if it's a thing thing but like at least at the time that's where they're putting their uh a lot of their employees and volunteers well, not volunteers so much, but a couple employees. Um, mm-hmm. And now I'm not sure. But yeah, I had to like, I, I had to get like uh, shower curtains and I cut them into strips and I pinned them to the overhead and directed it to run into a bucket for the rain. And then in the summer, it got so hot inside, we all just slept in hammocks on the deck. Um, so it was, it was a very different life from what most people lead in New York City. And it was probably the f- most fun six months of my life that I've ever had. <laughs> that is so cool. I never would have thought that was a thing. Like that's cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, you gotta you gotta dig around. Yeah, to find these kinds of things. But uh, and then from there, I actually it was really funny because I was you know sailing on this boat in the daytime. I was like, this is great. I love sailing, but also I really want to work with indigenous people of Latin America. And I thought, well, those two don't work together, and so I just kind of dismissed it and just continued enjoying my time. And then a couple of months later, a handmade boat, it was made in the, in the Daring Rainforest in Panama, docked next to us, which is not, it wasn't a public dock. So they somehow got special permission to dock there. And it was a boat that was sailing around, raising awareness about the plight of indigenous people. And I was like, oh my God, that's everything I wanted. So I jumped on as a volunteer. That's definitely fate for it to like dock right next to you. Yeah, you have to have, I think you like, when you have a lot of faith and a lot of trust and, you know, it's a really big practice in learning how to let go. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of lessons involved in in traveling this way, but, you know, you grow so much too. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I jumped on as a volunteer and that was a wild experience and we sailed down to Panama. Um, The boat wasn't finished, so there were lots of there. And so then, did you just go did you just go up to them and say like hey do you need an extra set of hands like how did you go from like seeing them just dock to now being you know one of their crew Yeah well I basically we had an event or something on the boat I was working on so we had this leftover food so I just brought it over there with me and a couple friends and I just you know ingratiated myself basically I was like this is really cool da, 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 and I was hanging out while they were docked and you know talking to the crew and um so there was basically one American who had a lot of money that this was his dream and then he had a couple Panamanians as crew and then he had brought um I think it was like seven indigenous Embara up on the boat who like never left their village and they got on this boat and sailed across the ocean to come to the U.S. um so yeah and I said you know do you need do you need help and you know there was it was there was talk of it turning into a job but by the time we got to Panama it was kind of clear it wasn't going to turn into a job so it was just a volunteer experience and then I ended up flying back to the states um and then where did I go from there I think then I went to San Francisco because I had a, an idea for my own dream job or my own project um so I went to San Francisco to try and make that happen and you know found a 
I think I found a sublet there and found work and then eventually found something more stable. And so I was there for almost two years and then decided to go to Europe. And I had the benefit of having a, a British passport through my mom. Which oh, is, yeah. So <laughs> real nice. Well, now it's not so useful, but um, so I that want, allowed me to go. I want a passport like from Ireland so badly. I'm trying so hard. <laughs> do, do you have any grandparents that are? Yeah. Ireland? Yeah. My grandpa's. <laughs> Okay, you should be able to do it then, because I think with Ireland, it just has to be your grandparents. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, good luck. It's uh, I, I would love an Irish passport now, because now I'm no longer, uh, I can't really work in the EU. Well, I'm on a different track in my life now, so it doesn't yeah. matter so much. But <laughs> Although traveling solo is one of the best experiences you can ever have, Sometimes it does get kind of lonely, and sometimes it's really hard to find others who share that same passion of traveling and doing it on their own. And that is why I love Tourlina. Tourlina is an amazing app that allows women to connect with fellow female travel companions and locals within a secure and trusted network. It is safe and reliable. Every new user gets checked and only verified users can chat with each other. It's for women only, so you could still be part of that solo travel woman network. And it also just makes you want to travel. It's not a dating app and you're never going to travel alone when you join Tourlina. So my viewers, what's awesome is Tourlina is giving you 50% off a one-year subscription. Use code Sarah50 and go to Tourlina lena.com slash promo to get your 50% off. Again, that's tourlina.com slash promo for 50% off. All the details are in the description below. Yeah, I spent two winters in Switzerland working in ski resorts. And then in the summer, I worked on a yacht as like a, a stewardess, a couple different yachts. And, um, and then what did I do there? Then I went to India and this was just straight up traveling. Um, I went to India and Nepal and I was in India and Nepal for seven months. Um, so there was no, no work involved there, but just, well, a little bit of my own kind of projects, but, and then, uh, and then I think I went, yeah, I went back to the States for a while and then came down to Mexico where I am now. I've gotten, been stuck ever since. <laughs> so like when you would, you know, pick up all these, you know, ad hoc jobs and, you know, ski resorts and on yachts and stuff. Was there specific like types of skills and experiences they were looking for? Like, did you, you know, bartend? Wait, like what, you know, exactly were you able to like provide for them, you know, to help that allowed you to work in so many different, you know, kind of industries, if that makes sense? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of waitressing jobs. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that didn't require much except it helped that I was building experience in that. Um, and I also think my, in some cases, my resume of having worked in many different places impressed people. They're like, well, she sounds really cool. Let's hire her. Uh, and then, you know, I had done a little bit in education. So that, you know, well, the, the job in New York City, I guess I just needed my degree for that. And then, you know, teaching English, you needed yeah. in certain countries, you need a degree and then like your TEFL certification. But that's, you know, the TEFL certification is easy to get. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, what I was working was really not skilled jobs. So I'm sure that a lot of people that listen to your podcast have, you know, 
a much higher like skill and experience level and could probably work remotely as a you know digital nomad which is fantastic yeah and like you said now there's so many other different ways to do you know the traveling and working like not even necessarily (laughs) having to pick up a job like in a restaurant or something like that now they have things like vip kid and you can teach you know English, you know, ESL through this digital or being a virtual assistant or all these, there's so many different, you know, digital, you know, kind of paths you could take to, to, you know, get some funding. And, and I think what people don't understand too, is they're thinking like when, like if they were to travel through, let's say Asia in the sense of like Thailand and, you know, um, Vietnam and all these type of places, you don't need to make an American, like at a U.S. dollar salary to survive, right. you know what I mean? Because right. the U.S. dollar does go longer, um, go sure. right there. So it's you know picking up the ad hoc jobs or digital jobs and stuff like that is going to get you definitely further along. Um, there, I actually have a friend of mine who, you know, she lived here in New York City, and one day she just decided to pack up what she could in her car, sold everything else, drove it to Colorado where her family's where her parents are put her stuff in storage there. And now that's been like, I think almost going on four years and she's lived in Thailand. She's lived in Vietnam. She's now, I think going up to Europe. Like it's like, you know, she just kind of did it and she's, she does, she, you know, teaches at different schools and it's just, I mean, I just, I envy people that can get up and do that. I'd be so nervous, but I do envy people that can get up and just do it, you know? <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, I still think about, like, I'm very much rooted in Mexico, but I kind of consider getting, like, some part-time digital work just to bring in some extra income because the dollar goes really far here. Yeah. You know? I mean, if I could make it work in Europe making, you know, the wages that you make as a waitress, like, imagine what somebody making decent money for a company as a whatever it might be, a personal assistant or a writer or whatever could, you know, you'd live pretty well there, I think. Yeah, no, for sure. And so, you know, one thing I want to touch on, too, is you mentioned like couch surfing and, you know, place different places you would stay. How did you get, I guess, past that like nervousness? I'm assuming like at first when you first started couch surfing, there was surfing. um, There was that kind of like nervousness to it because you don't know these people and you're like just kind of going to their home and chilling. And like, yeah, how did you because, you know, that's something we like to touch on is like, you know, there's so much, I guess, stigma around like traveling solo and that fear around it and how people can actually overcome that so how did you get past that yeah I mean I didn't really have a choice um so (laughs) you know I used to be actually really introverted when I was little and I after a few years of traveling and then I went back to the states and I went out with my mom and she was just shocked she was like when did you become an extrovert because I would just (laughs) walk up to people and start talking to them and I was like that's what happens when you travel alone. Like you don't have a choice. If you want to meet people or you want to get to know a place or you want to find things out and where you're supposed to go, you just got to start talking to people. Um, so, you know, it's hard at times, but it's like, it's, I'm really thankful that I did travel when I was young and, and travel that I didn't, when I didn't have money because it like forced me into these situations where I couldn't just be like, well, I'm just going to, you know, curl up in my comfy hotel room um, and like have a nice lunch at a kind of posh place or whatever. Like I had to go out on the streets and like talk to people and, but it's also my nature. Like I really like those kinds of adventures. I like connecting with people and learning about a place and with things like couch surfing. I mean, you know, you definitely look at their profile and you can see what other people have said and get a sense. Okay. Is this, 
is this somebody that a lot of people have stayed with and they had a good time with and they trusted and it went well, you know, I wouldn't stay with somebody that had no reviews. For example. Yeah. Um, so, and you know, a lot of times coffee and get to know them first. Um, you don't have to just go straight to sleeping on their couch. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it was great. I mean, I loved couch surfing. I, I'm assuming that's still going or will pick up again after COVID. I don't know, but yeah, I, I think there's a site. I think they still have like the actual couch surfing. I think there's that website that's dedicated to finding, um, the couch surfers. I definitely, cause I had someone else on the podcast that mentioned couch surfing as well. So it's definitely still a thing. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a fantastic way to meet people and really get to know an area. And even if you don't, you know, sleep on their couch, just meeting locals for a coffee is like, you learn so much, you know? Um, what's it? Oh, the other website I've used occasionally is workaway.info. Oh, okay. And then there's another one called help exchange. It's help and then X change. And I think it's dot net maybe. Um, I think that in the end, I actually only got one thing through that, but that was, I came to Mexico through that and I randomly chose Zihuatanejo because they had a, there was a dive shop on there. I wanted to get my dive masters through Patty and there was a dive shop that was willing to um, give it to me in exchange for working in the office for, you know, like two months or something. And uh, so that's what took me to Zihuatanejo, which is where I met my husband and why I'm still here. That um, is interesting. That's cool. But that's a really cool. Usually you get like room and board. Uh, yeah in exchange for 20 hours of work a week. So that's also a really cool way to do it if you're on a budget or even if you're not, like if you just, you know, you want to, you want to adventure and you want to experience what life is like, you know, for the people that live there rather than as a tourist, that's a really good way to do it. So yeah, and there's never some really cool projects too. I've never heard of that. So I'm definitely going to be looking that up because I think that's super cool. And yeah. you know, we'll put those links in the description. Um, so this way anyone can go and check them out. Um, and so I have to know, though, because you stayed in, like, so many, like, random people's homes and on the couch, do you have <laughs> any, like, fun, interesting, like, story that, like, you're like, oh, my, like, one of those, oh, crap, travel stories from that, those oh experiences? I'm sure I do have multiple. Um, uh, I just, I should have thought of this before. The one that oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> jumps to mind immediately is when I took a train. I had I had arrived in India and I was staying with my friend's cousins. Uh, my friend is American, but of Indian descent. And his so his cousins are in Delhi. And they hooked me up with an eye surgeon and I got Lasix eye surgery there. And then, you know, they took care of me, like putting drops in my eyes and stuff. I had to like be really careful for a few weeks. So I was in Delhi for a few weeks. And then I was like, yeah, go see Taj, the Taj Mahal. And uh, so I looked on couchsurfing and I found somebody who'd had a lot of great reviews on couchsurfing. And uh, so I took the train down there and I showed up and, you know, we ended up like, I think I got there kind of late. So we were like going to go the next day, but we ended up staying up all night long talking about everything. I mean, like a lot of philosophical stuff, you know, so that well, I think we slept until like two o'clock the next morning. And, um, and yeah, so by the time we got to the Taj Mahal, it was, uh, late afternoon and there wasn't much time left and there was such a big line of people we we're just like oh forget it so then we just like went to the other side around the back across the river and just like admired it from outside yeah um so i'm sure i have far more wild stories than that but uh that's just the one that comes <laughs> to mind that's i mean another awesome, time though. i hiked up in the mountains um in outside of rishikesh uh we just climbed up a hillside there's like a trail that just went up above this waterfall and so i kept going kept going 
and then met just came upon this little village and all these kids came running out and they were really fascinated and um this woman came out i think she was like a grandmother or something and it just invited me to stay with them so i just stayed with them um and that was a definitely a, a an awkward but very interesting experience uh yeah yeah that for sure i would have been like i mean like i said you definitely have way more uh I, I don't know how I would have done in that situation. I don't think I could have done. I would have been like, I don't know. This is random. You know, it's, it's, it's totally random, but those makes, they make really good stories. Um, and they just, for me, it's like helped me to grow so much as a person Yeah, and to give, get a such broader perspective of the world and see what other people's realities are like, you know? And, um, a lot of it is about intuition and trust. So you really have to rely heavily on your intuition, which of course gets better and better the more you use it. Um, And there's a lot of trust, you know, like at heart, I think most people are good people and most people want to like are happy to connect and share, you know, I think that, and especially in other, in other countries, especially in non-Western countries, I mean, people are so generous and so happy to open their homes to you, you know, like in the States, I feel like that rarely happens. I mean, maybe amongst other travelers and stuff, but you know, in, a lot of these countries have traditions of being like, you know, somebody poor comes through their village and needs a place to stay. Okay, go ahead. They just open um, up their home. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think mean, to you starting young with the traveling, like you said, definitely helps because you're, you know, you're younger and like you're not, you know, jaded by like everything that you hear and like things that, you know, are on the news right. and like all that stuff. So that definitely helps, I think, as well. For sure. Like, and like, you, up. you know, now I'm also, you know, when my husband and I go to Mexico City, I'm like, oh, I kind of want to stay in Condesa where it's a little bit nicer. And, you know, so like you get a little more set in your ways and used to more comforts. And so it's oh, a little yeah. more, it's a little more tricky, but, um, um, but also, I don't know. I remember, uh, I did a hike through in Nepal with two Swiss friends into a valley where hardly any tourists had ever gone. Uh, you know, they'd, they'd only opened a few years before to tourism. So I think we ran across one other couple the whole time we were hiking. And we went up into Sum Valley, which is on the border of Tibet. And there's, I mean, there's no places to stay up there. Like, you just go and then you get to a village and you ask around if somebody can put you up, if you can sleep in the barn or you can, you know. So wow. that's that's what we did. We, we did stay in a couple, like in one nunnery and one monastery um, but there were a couple nights, I think one night we slept in somebody's barn and another night we slept in, it was a family, there was an orphan boy and his uncle and grandmother and they actually moved out and slept on the porch and let us sleep in there. It was a one room house. I mean, these are very poor people, you know, so it was like yeah. a fire in the middle of the living room and rancid yak butter hanging from the rafters and like rats scurrying behind our heads or sleeping and the grandmother was like snoring and farting and like they're not comfortable, but you know, this, that was part of the experience too. That was, you know, it was trekking. And if you want to go see these places, sometimes you got to do that. But, but this is what I love though, is, you know, these people, like you said, they're not, you know, they're poor. They don't have much, they don't have anything to give and they still find a way though to give, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just kind of goes to show. And then you get these like wealthier to do's that, God forbid they do any type of, you know, giving or chair. And it just, boy, it just really puts things into perspective, in my opinion. It's like people who have nothing are always the people that give the most, Absolutely. you know, with what they yeah. can. Yeah. And, and I, I just because, I love like, stories like that. I think it's because they know what it's like to be mm-hmm. in need. And I think 
also maybe because they're, I don't know. I mean, I think they just run a lot on faith and generosity and, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, there's, there's less, I think the more you, the more money you have, the more materials you have, the more you feel like you have to guard it and you're afraid of losing it. A hundred percent. Oddly, you know, it's, it's kind of ironic, but yeah, I've, I've found the most generous people in my travels have always been those that have the least. For sure. And so, okay. So you mentioned that your, your husband and, you know, going down to Mexico and stuff like that. So I would love to know, like, how did that all happen? Like, how did you, you know, I know what brought you down there and stuff, but how did you guys meet and kind of where has, you know, all these experiences kind of led you to today? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I just want to make one comment real fast. Like just that, uh, when we did stay in these places, like we would always offer something, we'd give them money, you know, afterwards. Mm-hmm. So just so, you know, you always get, make sure you offer something and be generous with your offering. Of course, um, Yeah. As for Mexico, so I, I came, I went down to Zihuatanejo uh, to get my dive master's and I met my husband my second week there. And that's like a kind of crazy story. He'd actually, he's native, I mean, he's mixed, but he's native Mexican. He's an Aztec dancer. He's well known in the Aztec dance circles in Mexico and has done a lot of, you know, been to a lot of ceremonies and knows a lot about his culture and other native cultures in Mexico. Um, so he's just like a very fascinating person. So immediately I was drawn to him like, wow, you know, I have a lot, I have a lot I can learn from this person, but he, he had actually seen a vision of me in a peyote ceremony months before I ever arrived in Mexico. And he said to his mom, Oh my God, this woman's coming. And, uh, and yeah. And then he, before we met, he walked by me on the street. I was sitting in the dive shop working on my computer and he, and um, a work buddy walks by and they were all like dirty and disgusting from doing construction work or whatever. And he sees me and he points at me and he says to his friend, I'm going to marry that woman. And his friend is just like laughing hysterically. Like, yeah. Whatever, like, dude. all right, buddy. Sure. Yeah. And then that next weekend we meet. And then like a few weeks later, it was just all very clear. Like, okay, yep. Yeah, this is, this is the relationship for me. Um, oh, so that's like something you only see in movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty ridiculous. I don't even know how this stuff happens to me. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, sometimes I actually feel like before I was born, I kind of wrote the story of my life. Because uh, I'm like, what? How did that even happen? What? Um, but I think that's also like what happens when you just open yourself up to experiences and you go with the flow and you go on your intuition and you follow what it is you really want, not like what you're supposed to do. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we, that was in Guerrero and there's just really not much work there. So we were trying to figure out how to be together um, and we didn't want to be in the U.S. So we ended up finding a Buddhist retreat center in the mountains uh, north of Cabo in Baja, California, sir. And I had studied Buddhism when I was in Nepal. I did a month-long course there, which was amazing. If anybody's interested, it's called the, it's at Copan Monastery. It's their November course. It's phenomenal. Changed my life. Um and so he was just following me, basically. So we went up there as volunteers for two months and met some people in Todos Santos, which is down the mountain. And so we came down here and we literally ran out of money. And so he stayed on and worked for the summer doing construction, which summers here are really hot and brutal. Brutal, yeah. Yeah. And then I went and I found a job in Alaska working at a luxury wilderness lodge, um, and again, you know, that came with housing and food and everything. So I'd, all I had needed was my ticket to get up there, um, which I think they even reimbursed me for. Uh, 
so yeah, I did that and then I came back and then um, we, we did a little trip around Oaxaca and Chiapas to collect um, artisan goods to sell in the markets here. Cause he's, my husband's always made like Aztec dance costumes and you know, oh, feather cool. earrings and stuff. So we're like, okay, I guess we'll do this to try and get by. And on the way we met a family of mezcaleros uh, that produces mezcal. Um, actually, because I had known, I'd met a guy in Nepal, a French guy who had been working on with his family in Mexico, learning how to make mezcal. So I was like, Oh, he's down there. Like, I want to go see him. So we went to see him and then this, um, this, <laughs> this is my husband coming up right now with his big boots, giving me keys. Uh, <laughs> this, um, the woman, the wife of the mezcalero saw that he knew a lot about mezcal and was just like, Hey, you know, why don't you take 10 liters and take it back to Baja and try and sell it? And, uh, so we did, and then we took it back and we drank half of it. And then we started doing tastings, <laughs> um, just private tastings. And we're like, Oh, mezcal sells really well. Like this sells better than handcrafts. Uh, so maybe we should do something with this. So after a couple of years, we actually looked at exporting and we, <laughs> through another really weird story, met Adrian Grenier from the star of uh, Entourage. Mm -hmm. and he was interested in investing in a mezcal brand. So we took him and um, I'm blanking it. What's his name? He's, he's actually ambassador to Sweden right now uh, as a good friend of his. Um, he's the founder of like PayPal and oh, Kiva. Gotcha. Uh, I'm totally blanking on his name. Anyway, we took them to Guerrero, like, which is like narco territory and like took them around to meet mezcaleros and looked into the option of having them invest in our mezcal. But in the end, I think their vision was just different from ours. And so we didn't do it. And then we decided instead to open up a mezcal bar in Todos Santos and serve a little bit of food with it. And, um, you know, just like super budget, like, you know, I think we opened it with like three to $5,000, um, just like threw sand down in front of this kind of dumpy house and put some lights up and some rickety tables. Cause I'm but... sure it's so different there as far as like what you need to start a business. Right. Yeah. Compared yeah. To here. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, and as a foreigner, you really, it's better to follow the rules, but like, it's a lot easier to get started here. You know, there's not as many re regulations there. It is like more of a headache to jump through the hoops just because of the bureaucracy here, but it's a lot easier. Um, I mean, who starts a restaurant with five grand? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, who? <laughs> Nobody. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is that like, it actually became quickly very popular and, um, our second month open, a literary agent who knew my writing because I'd submitted a memoir to her before, um, came and had dinner with her fiance. And um, she was like, this is amazing. Like the mezcal is incredible. The food is incredible. And your stories of mezcaleros and cooks and the culture. She's like, you guys need to write a cookbook. And, you know, I'd always, I'd written, I'd blogged about my journeys and I love writing. Um, but I was like, I don't want to write a cookbook. And she's like, no, but like with all the stories in it. And she's yeah. like, I'll represent you. And I'm like, okay, sold. Let's do it. <laughs> so, I mean, nobody, it's very rare that somebody gets an offer of representation from an agent without even like really trying. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So now we have a cookbook. It came out last July and our restaurant, we've moved two more times since then because the first place sold and it was too small anyway. And then the pandemic hit when the pandemic hit last year, we put everything in storage and moved out of our place where we were. And now we're in a new place. So it's like, it's been a, like kind of a nightmare having to restart in a sense so many times, but we're in a really good spot now with a long-term contract and like, it's all outside and it's like kind of rustic, but really nice. And 
so things are like yeah but it's weird too because i'm very stable now after having been a nomad for so long and it's like and, uh, and what's your restaurant called el refugio mezcaleria like re the refuge Ref it's spelled like refugio okay um, yeah so anybody coming down to Toto santos look us up <laughs> um and we're hoping to have our mezcal exported to the u.s i hope by this summer so that'll have a i think that's i think we're going to call it tesca but uh yeah Lots so there's of a lot of things happening. <laughs> yeah, lots of big things. But, you know, there's still this piece of me that's like, I want to go travel. I want to go travel. So, but, you know, there's a lot of people. And we have a three and a half year old daughter. So. I love that. And she, does she come and help? And like, is she like the face of your restaurant? Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Um, I can't bring her in there too much now because she'll like want our my our nephew is the uh kind of manager and server and so but she'll like cling to him so i can't stay in there too long but yeah she okay. um just the other day a table came in and sat down and she turned to her cousin tona and she said tona can you do me a favor and he says yeah what do you want can you please go and wait on that table <laughs> it's like she's three and a half okay she's a little i guess you're ready. a boss lady oh yeah <laughs> boss lady for sure but <laughs> she's also that. She goes traveling with us. I mean, last summer we went to California and Oregon and um, Ohio, um, mostly kind of work and family stuff. But then when she was one, we did the research trip for our cookbook and we drove from Mexico City to Guerrero and Puebla and Oaxaca. And we drove all over the place for like a month with a one-year-old in the car uh, just to do the research and take photos. So she's a, she's a trooper. That. I love that. She's going to be like her mama. And have I hope so. Bitten by the travel bug. <laughs> I hope so, because her dad is not so into traveling. And I'm like, I want to go. So it'd be kind of nice if she was my partner. <laughs> no, I think that's amazing. And I just, that story, it, it really is something out of a movie or out of like a novel. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that's just, and like you said, I think when you open yourself up with no barriers and no expectations and limitations, so many positive things can come your way if you're just opening open to receive them. Absolutely. I think oftentimes because unfortunately the way media media portrays things and honestly the way the world has unfortunately been, we all are very closed off and to experiences and new new things. And yeah, if you just take that barrier down for a second and you might completely have something magical honestly happen in your life that wouldn't have happened if you had that barrier still up I know For I'm sure. guilty of that you know I'm very much like as much as I solo travel and I love it and I am someone who completely wants to immerse themselves you know with the way things have been lately it is it you know I even find myself being like oh my gosh I'm actually nervous to go here because you don't know what might happen but then it's like, ah, but you also don't know m what might happen. So you have to go there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think so. that like, you know, you have to have, you have to know a little bit about the area. Like, for example, my husband and I travel through Guerrero a lot. And Guerrero is, they have a lot of problems. You know, there's a lot of like narcos stuff happening there. You but said it's like watching narcos. It's like real life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I don't, I don't watch those shows because I don't need the paranoia. Um, yeah, and that's, right. you know, that is such a like small slice of what Mexico is and a very negative one. So um, but you know, we, you know, the, you have to know the rules. Where do you not go? Just where are the important places not to go and don't drive around at night, like through mountains, like obviously like in tourist cities, like Zihuatanejo, it's fine, but yeah. you know, don't go driving up through in mountains at night. Don't go areas. taking pictures of marijuana fields. Like, yeah, don't be, can't, yeah I would buy drugs off the street. <laughs> like, you know, you know, the rules, 
Yeah. And you go with your intuition, you know? And yeah, sometimes you have to challenge yourself. And some, like, lots of times I've been like, oh my God, I don't know. I'm kind of freaked out. Um, you know, one time we were in Guerrero and Noel, we won, I needed to go take photos of the mescaleros loading up. And Noel decided to stay back with our daughter. So I would just go with his brother. And I, he's like, no, like, what if you die? One of us needs to be here for Leela. And I was, and he just sent me on my trip like that. And I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? Thanks, thanks, man. So I was pretty nervous for the first hour. And then I was like, you know what? It's fine. Like, these are like, it's not like crazy country we're driving through. At this age, yeah. like, you know, um, there's definitely through that fear. But, you know, you also, again, have to listen to the rules and your intuition. Exactly. Well, I love this. I think your story is absolutely amazing. And I think so many people are going to enjoy hearing it and, you know, get inspired by it. And, but I did want to ask one thing before we close, if you were to give your daughter and anyone listening, but I want you to think of your, your baby girl, if you were to give her any piece of advice, if she wanted to explore the word freely, and like you said, you hope she, she does, and you hope she's like that. What's that one one piece of advice you would give her to kind of support her, you know, dream of doing that? Just listen to your intuition and stay grounded in yourself, like what your needs are and what you believe. I love yeah. that. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much, Rachel. It was so cool learning your story and talking to you and definitely loved having you on the podcast today. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. And if anybody like is wants to do something like that and is scared and has any questions, feel free to send me an email. Uh, no problem. I'm happy to, I'm, I love to encourage people to travel by themselves. So definitely. And all of Rachel's info from her restaurant to her cookbook, to some of the cool sites she mentioned, plus like she just said, her contact information will be in the description below. So definitely check it out and reach out and buy her cookbook. So you can start making some of this delicious food that we're hearing about at home <laughs> and read the stories of, of yes. Mexico. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please remember to follow or subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening on. And if you really liked what you heard today, give us a rating. We love to hear from you and get your feedback. See you next week.